Well, I got a new series I'm starting this morning. I'm excited about this. And uh, so uh, this one's probably maybe the most challenging thing you hear um, about your Christian life. A lot of people think that if you uh, can quote Bible scriptures or that, ma- that makes you a spiritual person, or if you know how to pray, that makes you a spiritual person. Or if, you, if, if you can pray long, eloquent prayers in front of others, that makes you a spiritual person. Or, or people who I was raised as a boy, I just thought they were spiritual because they had their Bible on the, on the dashboard of their car as they drove, or either in the back window. I thought, well, that must be a spiritual person. Or some people have have bumper stickers. I don't like bumper stickers because if you got them about Jesus, you better not do anything but the speed limit, right? And you better do it just right or you're misrepresenting the Lord. Nonetheless, people have ideas about what makes a spiritual person. But what I want to talk about today is what makes or breaks you spiritually. Spiritual growth is paralleled with what I'm going to be talking about in this series, unconditional love the missing ingredient. So uh, how's your love life? That's the question. I started this series uh, uh, over a year, about a year and a half ago, and God intervened right in the middle, and I had to go a different direction. Now I see why, because our world has changed. But now the world has taken another change, and I've never seen such anger, animosity. Uh, the, the word is vitriol, bitterness, sarcastic, bitter uh, words, uh, to those that you disagree with. Never seen it any worse. So we're going to be talking in this about unconditional love, missing ingredient, five things to know about unconditional love. We'll get to it in a minute today. Uh, I do want to make a, 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 I want to reference here my, um, I have a journal. I had one hard copy for year, years. I've kept a spiritual journal. I mentioned this in my last series for, since 1985. My encouragement, keep some kind of a journal. Write down what the Lord gives you. I don't keep a diary. I keep a journal. A journal is what I feel and sense inside or what I feel like the Lord is speaking to me. If you do that, it really helps you have a track record of when God does speak to you and and then you can go back and remember some things that the Lord has said to you. Otherwise, we tend to let them drift away. So this is Saturday, October 3rd. That is a week ago yesterday. We had a, a really good prayer meeting, and I and when I got home, I journaled, and this is I'm reading you, to you from my personal journal. Here it is, Saturday, October third, twenty twenty. And here's what I journaled as we begin to pray today. I had no plans on where the praying would be directed, and that's true. As again, I let the Holy Spirit direct our praying, and I begin to pray, and I just feel a movement one way or the other. Uh, except, and here I'm back to my journal, except that we were praying for our nation and for a fresh move of God here. As we begin to pray, the overwhelming urge came to pray for the love of God to rise up in the body of Christ. We believers have taken up the same response the world has to those with whom we disagree and hold different views. How many heard what I just said? We look and act no different than those who do not claim to know the Lord. Maybe I need to slow down a bit. Jesus said that um, by his unconditional love, all men would know that we're his followers. As a whole, we're not doing that. Look at the social media responses across the board from believers. Vitriol, use that word for the second time, is everywhere, bitter, sarcastic responses. We're called to love our enemies. Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. 
for they know not what they do to those who crucified him. Stephen, the first martyr of the church, prayed, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Jesus prayed for Jerusalem, the city that persecuted him more than others. By this, all men will know that you're my followers. We accuse, defame, and name call those with whom we disagree. We are just like the world. Now, I prayed all of that I just read. I pr- we prayed out while we were here in that hour prayer meeting. Then I said, lastly, we prayed and repented for our callousness and lack of love. I prayed and repented for my callousness and lack of love. Satan knows he cannot resist the power of God through spiritual gifts and the power of Jesus' name, but he also knows he can whip us by jerking the rug out from under us spiritually, by sowing strife and discord among us, and by getting us to respond in the flesh and not the spirit. And so I ended this by saying, what a prayer time. It challenged all of us. I I went home from that place. I tell you, I could hardly talk. I was quite moved at my own responses. And here's, here's what you have to know. Uh, whatever, whatever, um, whatever a culture is dealing with, the church deals with it. And often it seeps into the church in that particular culture. So here we are. We've got this animosity. We've got name calling, bitterness, all this stuff going on. And it's gotten into the church. And, you know, I've, I, you know, I've got Facebook accounts, Instagram, all that, Twitter. And I've noticed that believers are, are mimicking what unbelievers are doing and saying. And it's really, really sad. So how many know that we're called to love people who don't like us? And we're loved to call people, uh, to love people who disagree with us. And who say mean and nasty things about us. Yes or no? So question, how you doing with that? I mean, really, how you doing? What do you do when somebody says something you don't like? What do you say, what do you say about them? What do you say to I don't know if I ought to say this, but I'm going to spit, spit it out. I've been battling this in my head. <laughs> Lord, should I even say? You know, I, uh, I believe in the Second Amendment. Do you? You know why it's there? Do you know why it's there? Not to fight your neighbor. It's to keep the government back where it belongs. Yes or no? Now, I like to go hunting. My daddy took me hunting. Rabbit hunting, squirrel hunting, quail hunting, dove hunting, deer hunting. Y'all like all that? Some of you do. Some of the guys on my staff go bear hunting. That's nice. But I have a uh, concealed carry permit. That could be a confession for a pastor. This is confession day. I carry a knife. If you're a man, you ought to have a knife, a pocket knife. Yeah. I just always have, you know. My daddy did. He taught me. I did. I do. Now, why did I do all that? Now, here's the question that God's challenged me with, Mitch. When somebody moves you, what you going to do with all that? Right? Can we be real here? Can you let me off the hook and just let me talk instead of preach? I mean, he's challenging me. What, what you do, Mitch? Somebody spits in your face and gives you a, a bath with their spit because they don't like what you are and what you think and what you say. What you do? You going to push them back? See, my daddy, when I was a little boy, I always thought my daddy was the greatest man in the world. Now, you know, boys ought to think that about their daddy. 
And I heard many times, I don't know why it was the community. We, he bought an acre of land in a community and it was a pretty rough and tumble place. Sometimes guys would come up on his property and say certain things or try to take certain things. I'm going to tell you right. And they'd come up and challenge him. And I was right there by his side. And here's my daddy's response. He said, you better go on and let the Lord take, take care of you because I'm going to tear you up if, if you try to get near me. Now, you know, I thought, yeah, get him, dad. Yeah. This stoked my fire as a little boy. Uh, having said that, now somebody comes to hurt my family or my grandkids. Now, you know, I may have to repent later. How many hear me? But I mean, the Lord's really challenging me with all this. He said, Mitch, what's your responses, really? You got to lighten, lighten it up a little bit here. But really, really, I mean, what are we doing here? Do you, act, do you have the same response? Are you angry like everybody else? If I am, I'm wrong. Scripture says be angry and don't sin. I think we've added that second part right in because we, they deserve it. And friends, we've got to change. I've got it in my notes. I wrote it in my journal. Jesus, and I got that from the Lord in prayer. Jesus loved Jerusalem, the city that persecuted him more than any other city. He prayed for them. Jesus prayed for the soldiers that beat him and crucified him. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Stephen, the first martyr of the church, prayed for those who stoned him. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Jesus taught us we should love our enemies and pray for those who use us to their advantage. Today, there's venom, anger, animosity, revenge, hatred, malice, sarcasm, blasphemous words, vindictiveness, and division everywhere. Yes or no? And you've got to confront it when we leave the walls of this building today. It's everywhere we go. It's in the news media, all of the internet, social media outlets, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Parlor, Snapchat, TikTok, and I'll lift your favorite one out, include it in. It's everywhere, and sadly, it's crept into us. Listen to uh, 2 Timothy. This was written almost 2,000 years ago. This is message paraphrase. Eugene Peterson, I think, uh, translated this as good as anybody. Don't be naive. Paul writing to a young man, T Timothy, great persecution in the early church. Uh, the Roman culture was a very loose living culture. Here we are again today. We've come full circle, 360. Don't be naive. There are difficult times ahead. As the end approaches, people are going to be self-absorbed, money-hungry, self-promoting, stuck-up, profane, contemptuous of parents, crude, coarse, dog-eat-dog, unbending, slanderers, impulsively wild, savage, cynical, treacherous, ruthless, bloated windbags, addicted to lust, allergic to God. I can't say it any better than that. Is that today or not? Man, they'll make a show of religion, but behind the scenes, they're animals. Stay clear of these kinds of people. Wow, I mean, that, that really hit me. Uh, you, if, my, if you don't have my notes, you can go to victorychurchraleigh.com. My notes are right there. You can follow me. I've, I said that because there are things in the notes I will not be sharing for sake of time. Matthew 24, 12 has always been in my view ever since I came to the Lord over 44 years ago. Speaking of the last days, uh, uh, Amplified New Testament, which amplifies the original language, Matthew 24, 12, and the love 
of the great body of people will grow cold because of multiplied lawlessness and iniquity. Has that happened today? Has it happened in America? Has it happened in our community? Has it happened in your heart? Don't answer that one yet. That's tough, isn't it? Again, message paraphrase. I have a wide margin Bible in my office. I wrote it there many, many years ago. For many others, Matthew 24, 12, message paraphrase. For many others, the overwhelming spread of evil will do them in. Nothing left of their love but a mound of ashes. Y'all, that's today. You know, when God was dealing with us in that prayer meeting a week ago, I I wept for me. I could hardly talk on the way home. I said, God, God, you're dealing with me. I began to think and act like the culture around me. Instead of representing you, I've put put the light that you placed in me, I put a, a bucket over it like Jesus said, and I've got to make a change. So I repented. Today, I want to encourage you, start a journey with me, and let's show people what Jesus really acts like and stop acting like the culture around us. We're not supposed to be influenced by the world, the culture. We're supposed to influence our culture. And I've said this many times, any problem a nation has, the blame is laid at the feet of the church. What we allow, our country becomes. Is that true? So have you prayed? Have you treated people the way Jesus would? So what would Jesus do? I mean, you know, we got that little saying years ago, what would Jesus do? Well, I mean, how would he respond if somebody comes up and lambasts him with words, vitriol, empties their spleen on him, just chews him out? What would he do? He might say, you need some water? Can I buy your lunch? Can we have dinner tonight? I'm buying. I think that might be what he would say. What would we say? Well, I can't repeat it. You know, the Holy Spirit's placed in us an amazing ability to love. It's incredible. So we can deal with the differences we have with other people and deal with the harsh climate of the day. There are two words that set apart this love, and I'm going to go into detail in one of my lessons here, but we use words quite loosely in the English language, and a word can mean have so many nuances of meaning that you've got to listen to context carefully to know what a person is talking about. I can say I love you, but that doesn't mean a whole lot. In American culture, that doesn't mean a whole lot. That could mean, well, there are things about you that usually means there are things about you that pleases me. Now, that's not biblical love. That's human love. In fact, if you go to the bar, listen, I don't encourage you to go to a bar. I don't visit bars. But I've been around bars and restaurants. And you know what I found out? I just, you know, you can learn a lot by watching people. Can I slow down a little bit? You can learn a lot by watching people. I notice even the people in the bars. They're sitting at the bar. They're drinking their favorite liquor. But you know, they're really nice to each other. And the bartender's the nicest guy in the world because he gets along with everybody. Is that true? I hope you don't know, but you may know by experience. You hear what I'm saying? I mean, everybody's his friend. And then all these other guys, man, they pat each other on the back. I'm sorry you're going through that. I heard so-and-so. I'm sorry you, this happened to you. Sorry your wife left you. Your dog died. Your, bull, your goldfish died. I'm sorry you're having a hard time on your job. They're just nice. That's not the kind of love I'm talking about. 
Because everybody's got that. Even at the bar they have it. That's pretty good. Now, two words set apart as love I want to talk about in this series. Number one is the word unconditional. Everybody say unconditional. I got to slow down because I want this to get in you. Okay, so, so let's think about it. If I have unconditional love, what does that mean? Does it mean you don't have to meet conditions for me to like you and love you? Does it mean that regardless of who you are, what you look like, what race you are, your statue, your visage, how you smell, I love you. There are no conditions to me. You don't have to be my political persuasion. You don't have to agree with the way I do life. I don't have to agree with the way you do life. I unconditionally love you. Now, most of us have to admit that's not the way we love. A lot of it's conditional love. It's true. Second word, self-sacrifice. This love that I want to talk about in this series, it puts itself last and puts the other person first. It cares for the person first to the disregard of its own needs. Man, it gets quiet, right? See, I was getting ready today and I heard. I heard the Lord right inside. Going to be quiet today. I said, I got it. His Passion Translation, 1 John chapter 4. This is a long passage, but it's worth reading. Can we read the Bible in a church? So read with me. It's on the screen, hopefully. I, I changed it. It was a different translation, and I changed it. 1 John 4, verse 7. Those who are loved by God, let his love continually pour from you to one another, because God is love. Everyone who loves is fathered by God and experiences an intimate knowledge of him. The one who doesn't love has yet to know God, for God is love. Now, again, you've got to keep in mind, this love I'm talking about, the Greek word is A-G-A-P-E, agape, and it means unconditional, self-sacrificial love. It's not the love the people in the bar have for each other. It's different, all right? The light of God's love shined within us when he sent his matchless son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love. He loved us long before we loved him. It was his love, not ours. He proved it by sending his son to the pleasing, to be the pleasing sacrificial offering to take away our sins. Delightfully loved ones, if he loved us with such tremendous love, then loving one another should be our way of life. That's said pretty well. No one's ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor. But if we love one another, God makes his permanent home in us and we make our permanent home in him. And his unconditional self-sacrificial love is brought to its full expression. Maybe I should say it that way each time. And he has given us his spirit within us so we can have the assurance that he lives in us and that we live in uh, him. Moreover, we have seen with our eyes and can testify to the truth that God has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Those who give thanks that Jesus is the son of God live in God and God lives in them. We have come into an intimate experience with God's unconditional self-sacrificial love. I'm adding it. And we trust in the unconditional self-sacrificial love he has for us. God is unconditional self-sacrificial love. 
Those who are living in unconditional self-sacrificial love are living in God and God lives through them. By living in God, unconditional self-sacrificial love has been brought to its full expression in us so that we may fearlessly face the day of judgment because all that Jesus now is, so are we in this world. Unconditional self-sacrificial love never brings fear for fear is always related to punishment. But unconditional self-sacrificial love's perfection drives the fear of punishment far from our hearts. Whoever walks constantly afraid of punishment has not reached unconditional self-sacrificial love's perfection. Our unconditional self-sacrificial love for others is our grateful response to the unconditional self-sacrificial love God first demonstrated to us. Anyone can say, I love God, yet have hatred toward another believer. This makes him a phony because if you don't have unconditional self-sacrificial love for a brother or sister whom you can see, how can you truly unconditionally self-sacrificially love God whom you can't see? For he has given us this command. Whoever unconditionally and self-sacrificially loves God must also demonstrate unconditional self-sacrificial love to others. Is that good? When's the last time you read that? You know, you read it that way, it can't help but challenge you. This is uh, when, when I go this subject, and let me say I've, I've, uh, I've just really been a student of Scripture for all these years, and as I read my Bible, this is the subject that grabs me more than any other subject of my life. If you want to grow spiritually, spiritual growth parallels your growth in love. If I'm not loving more, I'm no more spiritual than I was. Do you get it? See? Spirituality is not how many scripture you can quote, and I can quote a bunch. It's not any of these outward things, not coming to church. It's not being faithful in church to volunteer. That's a good thing to do, but true love. But love, unconditionally loving people who don't deserve it. That's the badge of spirituality for the believer, and it's what's missing today in the church. You know, when I came to Jesus, let me, by way of experience, this is... Uh, the day was September 13th, 1976. It was a Monday morning. I came to the Lord Sunday night, September 12th, and I went to church, uh, to work, I meant. I was in school and uh, college, and I went to work early and then had school and all that. But I went to work, and that's the first time that I entered the building where I worked. I worked in a grocery store. And it's the first time I'd been in public after having received this new experience with God. I was born again, filled with the Holy Spirit. And I mean, something changed in me and I knew it. I went to sleep that night, woke up that morning, went to work early. And, and early at work, as people came in the doors, they opened the doors of the business at eight o'clock. People began to come in to the business and they were shopping. And I was on the aisles doing the things I needed to do. And, and I'll never forget, I was on an aisle and I looked up. And for the first time in my life, I had never experienced this, not one time ever. And y'all, I'd been to church since I was a little boy. My dad was a Sunday school, uh, a, a deacon, a, you know, one of the de on the deacon board. My mother was a Sunday school teacher. I went to church three times a week and all week if we had revivals, and you know what that means. So, I mean, I was very churchified, but I wasn't a believer, wasn't saved. A lot of people can go to church. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian even any more than living in the garage will make you a car. 
So somebody, I looked up from what I was doing and I saw this person. I'm having a hard time explaining to you what happened inside me. For the first time in my life, I felt the value of another person. It's not based on their dress, their culture, their skin color. It's based on the fact that they're a human being created in the image of God who have needs just like mine. And I felt that love. Y'all, it was a dynamic thing for me. See, Romans 5, 5 says, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's the first time I experienced that, September 13th, 1976. I'll never forget that day. In fact, while I was working, I had to pause a minute, catch my equilibrium because I thought, I don't know what this is. Because if there ever was a person that looked at the outside to determine what a person was, that was me. And see, I felt badly about myself all of my life. And if you have a bad idea about yourself, if your personal esteem is low and you think badly about you, automatically you bring everybody else down to your level. If you feel bad about you, you'll treat others badly. You can tell a lot by a person. You can tell whether a person's full or empty by what they do with others. Did you hear that? I don't care how, how, many, how long you've been part of Victory Church. I don't care if you volunteer. You can be on staff. You can be like me, preaching. What shows who I am is how I treat other people. And if that hasn't changed that I'm no more closer to Jesus than I was 40-something years ago. Yes or no? Love is the foundation and motivation for the kingdom of God. Love is the foundation for God's kingdom. That's a big statement. His kingdom works with love. The foundation of the building is the most important part of a building. You're building a 100-story building in downtown New York City. You gotta go way down in the earth for that superstructure to be supported. It's got to go way down. It's got to have a, a, a good foundation. A building's no better than the foundation. A life is no better than the foundation. A kingdom is no better than its foundation. And God's, the foundation for God's kingdom is this unconditional, self-sacrificial love. And then it's the motivation for the kingdom. It's why we do what we do. If I preach because I want you to think I'm eloquent, I just lost everything. Now, why should I do it? Because I love you. Because I want you to be helped. Because I don't want you to be the same. If I do it that way, it doesn't matter what you think about me. It does matter if what you think about the person I represent. Yes or no? So how do you live your life? A step out of love is a step away from God into darkness. A step out of love is a step into Satan's territory. We wonder why believers have, have so many challenges. Often, Satan has to do very little. All he has to do is rip the rug out from under us, do something so that we respond out of love, and he's got us where he wants us. And he has a free-for-all into our lives, into our marriages, into our families, into our relationships with our children and our friends, in our business life, all he's got. He neutralizes the effects of the love of God when we choose to let it happen. Wow. Yes or no? Five things to know about love. 
I may get, I'm gonna, I got a certain time I'm going to stop today and I'll just start back next week. So you come back. We got a lot to share. Here are five things you need to know about this unconditional, self-sacrificial love. Everybody here? Everybody awake? Say, I'm awake. I can't hear you if you're watching online, but I, I have a feeling. Number one, Jesus gave two commands to love that absorb the Ten Commandments. Why don't we have to keep the Ten Commandments? Because you do if you keep the two. Isn't that cool? So Romans 2.28 says, we've received the circumcision of the heart. That is the law of God by the Holy Spirit is written on in, inside of us. I don't have to say what's commandment number four or number six or number eight. I just got two to keep. I told you this earlier, but when I, Susan and I, our kids were small, we had three rules for training our children. I can't remember much past that. And God knew that you wouldn't remember 10. You come to Jesus, you got two. If you can remember these two, you keep the 10. That's what's so cool. Matthew twenty two thirty five. then one of them, a lawyer, asked him, that is Jesus, a question, testing him and saying, teacher, what's the great, what's the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all of your heart, all of your soul, that is your mental faculties, your emotional abilities, and your volitional qualities, your will. And with all of your mind, he says, this is the first and great command. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands hang all the law and all the prophets. Wow. If I love my neighbor, if I love God with everything inside of me, I'm not going to take his name in vain. I'm not going to worship idols. I'm going to remember the Sabbath rest, right? And then if I love my neighbor as myself, I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to be sexually immoral because that hurts them. Right? Sums up all of our responsibilities towards both God and fellow man. If you, if you unconditionally, self-sacrificially love God and love people, you won't curse using God's name. You'll honor your parents. You'll not lie. You'll not covet other people's property. You won't commit adultery. You won't worship idols. You won't murder. You won't covet, et cetera, et cetera, right? Romans 13, 8, owe to no one, nothing to anyone, except your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you'll fulfill the requirements of God's law for the commandment says... You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not covet these. And other such commandments are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirement of God's law. Isn't that good? So here's me. I mean, for me, all my life, here's 44, over 44 years in Jesus. But the number one thing I think about every day am I loving God? And am I loving people unconditionally, self-sacrificially? That's the key. And I have to feed on it, work on it. My flesh is just like yours. My flesh wants to, ah, I want to get even so bad. In fact, I, I can use you, I don't even like to tell you, I think I can usually out-talk most people. That's pride. Yes or no? Y'all, that's bad. I've trained myself. I can get good at it. And most all the time, God just simply says, shut up. If you have a personality like mine, you want to be right and you want to get the last word. 
Well, see, if I want to be right and if I want to get the last word, the problem is with me, not with them. Yes or no? Am I preaching just to me or am I preaching to you? Number two, Jesus gave believers a new commandment, which if obeyed, fulfills all the others. Say it again a different way, John 13, 34, 35, a new commandment I give you. Now, you know, I've, I've sat back now. I've shut my eyes and seen this one. So you got 12 disciples there. Jesus is getting them ready for him leaving. Actually, there's 11 because Judas is taken off. And he says a new commandment. And they're sitting in, you know, they're, they're hunkering down because they know the Roman authorities are coming after them. The, the religious Jews have set them after them. And he's, they're hunkered down in a room. And he looks at them in the eyes. A new commandment I give you. And I can hear, I can hear Peter thinking, Lord, I, I'm having a hard time with the 10. You got me another one? You're kidding me. You know? Matthew. I'm having a hard one. Let's like Peter. I'm having a hard time with a 10. You're giving us a new, a new commandment. And they're rolling their eyes. Uh, not again. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. And see, and they say, oh, we do that. We pat each other on the back. We joke around. And then he put the qualifier in there. As I have loved you. See, they remember when Judas betrayed him, they're sitting at the table and they usually uh, ate. They didn't have chairs like we do. First century Middle East, they're, they're leaning on an arm, on their left arm, leaning over and then they're picking up the bread and dipping it in some sauce and eating. And a sign that you really care about somebody is when you take tear off a piece of that bread and you dip it in the sauce and you give it to someone else. You're saying, I got your back, brother. I've got you till death. I've got you. I love you. And so Peter, he said, as I've loved you, don't you think they're remembering? Here's, there's uh, Judas. And Jesus takes the bread, dips it, and he looks everybody in the eyes, and he looks at Judas, hands it to him. What you need to do, do quickly. See, as I have loved you, he prayed for Jerusalem perhaps more than any other city because Jerusalem persecuted him more than any other city. Jesus told the angel when Jesus was resurrected, said, go tell his disciples and Peter. Peter had denied Jesus. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, I prayed for you that your faith fail not. When you're converted, strengthen your brothers. See, when he said, as I've loved you, all that came into view, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you're my disciples. Not by going to church, not by having bumper stickers on your car. You know, not by humming praise choruses, not by playing them loud in your car when you're washing your car at the little place where everybody drives their car so everybody knows you're a Christian. Not by having crosses on your earrings or a cross around your neck or, you know. Got a little t-shirt on that says, Jesus loves you. That doesn't make you a Christian. By this. By what? Unconditional. Self-sacrificial love. We'll all know that you're my disciples. 
So here's the question I have for me. Would people know I'm a believer if I said nothing? That's the first question I have. Just by the way I carry myself, my facial expressions, my body language. You know, body language says a lot. Did I just say something? Facial expressions say a lot. You can't see me if you're listening to the podcast, but I'm making some pretty goofy expressions. Would you know I'm a Christian by how I respond to you? Would people know I'm a believer by how I respond to them? That's a question I have for me. What about you? You know, 1981, I was associate pastor of a church out of the will of God. <clears throat> and we had a Sunday night service. And uh, so the idea of this one is some people think you're real spiritual and they know you're a Christian if you can quote a lot of scripture. This lady came into the church and before church, about five o'clock in the afternoon, 4.30, the uh, pastor of the church, I was his associate, brought this lady, a, a lady in, in our church had brought her I think it was her sister or maybe her aunt. I can't remember which, but nonetheless. Uh, sat her down, and, and this lady was catatonic schizophrenic. She was catatonic. They sat her in a chair. If you did her arm like that, it stayed there. She just sat. Her eyes were wide open. They looked like two big saucers. She never batted her eyes. No facial expression. I, I said something to her and she began to quote scripture. And I looked at the pastor, I said, well, this lady knows the Lord. Well, you know what? She didn't know the Lord, but the devil knew scripture. I can't go any more into that story. It's a freaky one. So just because you can quote scripture, so does the devil. So do religious people that don't know God. No. So here's a question. I'm going to stop with this one because it's late. What do people think about when they think of you? I mean, really. Do people think you're kind, loving, fair, gracious? Do they feel like you overlook their faults, inconsistencies? Do they feel like they have to toe the line when they're with you? Do they feel like they got to measure up to a certain thing to be accepted by you? Me, really. You ever think that way? So what do people think? You ever ask yourself, those, kind of, those are good kinds of questions to ask yourself. It makes you think. Nobody can answer that question but somebody else. But what you can do is say, God, I don't know what others think of me. But I'd rather them not to think of me and I would rather them be introduced to Jesus by how I treat them. So ladies, you're praying for your husband that's not in church today. How do you treat him Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? There might be a reason he's not coming. You got children aren't walking with God. You let them know every time you see them. You know, y'all be in church, y'all be in church. 
Did you remember their birthday? Did you call them when they were having a hard time? Did you help them out when they put themselves in a hard place? Or did you say, you did it, suck it up, buttercup. You're on your own. There's a place for responsibility when a person is being irresponsible. But friends, there is a place for unconditional self-sacrificial love. How many hear me? I've gotten very convicted by this all over again. I've taught this, I don't know how many times throughout my life. I'm only, I'm not gonna even get to number three. I will start next time with love cures strife and keeps the dark kingdom out of your life. We'll start that next time. Let's leave it with this, unconditional, self-sacrificial. Everybody say unconditional, self-sacrificial, love. So here's the question. Here's some homework. How do you treat people? I mean, really. Do you love a person that's not worthy to be loved? The person that says things that make you angry? The person that one-ups you on your job because they're vying for the same position that you could get? Do you love the person who says things that don't need to be said about your family, about your children, about your grandchildren, about you? Do you greet him with a smile or do you make some sarcastic remark? You wear a mask and other people don't. Are you fussing at them? You don't wear a mask and other people do. Let's get real. Are you walking in the store? Showing them that you the boss, you're in charge. Ain't nobody gonna tell me what to do. I'm talking in South Carolina lingo here. (laughs) Right? This is where we're living today, y'all. So you're a Democrat or Republican and somebody else is opposite and they're voting for the person you're not. Locally, for governor, congressman, president, how you treating them? Do you walk the other way when you see them? It's time to love y'all. I don't think we've done a good job. What do you say we repent together? See, I'm preaching to me, not just you. I'm preaching to me. Do you want to do this? How, How many want to take a journey and go here? You know, the reason for unanswered prayer the reason that many times God can't do what he wants to do in a person's life, even to the point of, 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 help, of healing their bodies from sickness, is because we don't love as we should. We're not in the same room where the healing power is or where the answered prayer would be. We've taken ourselves outside of God's protection, love, and care because we have to have our own way. I don't know about you, I'm changing. If you want to do this, I want you to stand up on your feet. Just stand up where you're at. I want to lead us in a prayer. I had no idea how it's going to end this. I think this is a good way. What you think? Cut the lights down, will you? There you go. Let's make this a little bit private. <laughs> Let's pray a prayer of repentance. Pray with me out loud. I dare you to do it. Go with me where your flesh doesn't want to go. You're watching online, pray with me. Come on. Come on, y'all. Pray with me out loud. And let's recommit ourselves to love unconditionally, self-sacrificially. Pray with me out loud. Heavenly Father, I've been living wrong. 
I confess before your throne that I've loved the wrong way. My love has had selfish intentions. I've had conditional, selfish love. I only love people when they love me back, when they treat me right. And Lord, I lay that at your feet and ask you to forgive me for every wrong word, every wrong response, every wrong body language that I've shown, every wrong tone of voice and facial expression towards any person who doesn't agree with me. I'm wrong. I ask you to forgive me for any post on any social media outlet that lacks your love, that puts my selfish interests first above other people. I ask forgiveness. I repent. I put myself last and put you and your kingdom first. Forgive me. I'm changing my mind about how I'm doing life. Beginning today, help me when a person doesn't think the way I do, when a person disagrees with me. Help me to love them unconditionally, self-sacrificially. I open my heart to you. I can't do this alone. Every time I fail, remind me of unconditional, self-sacrificial love. You've had that towards me. Help me have it towards others in Jesus' name. I make a commitment to live this way beginning today for the rest of my life. So help me God in Jesus' name. My, my. You know, don't, don't play anything. I wasn't going to do this, but I'm just going to do it. We ended our prayer meeting. And I, had, I hadn't sung that, sang the song in 40 years. A song came up from my spirit. It's from the 70s. And we ended that prayer meeting about love, and here's what I say. We are one in the spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that all unity may one day be restored and they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. It has a second verse. All praise to the Father from whom all things come and all praise to Christ Jesus, His only Son and all praise to the Spirit who makes us one and they'll know we are Christians by our love by our love, yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love, yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Lord, make that real in every life. In Jesus' name.